Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Oh. R- rabbit, rabbit. <laughs> rabbit, rabbit. Rabbit, rabbit. It's the first of the month. You got to say rabbit, <laughs> rabbit. Aussie, Aussie. Mas o menos. Yeah, mas o menos. Apparently, Aussie is it Spain and mas o menos is Mexico. Oh, cast lot significa de rabbit, hmm. rabbit. Rabbit, rabbit. I don't know the significance of it either. I don't know why you say it first of the month. Well, moment. it's why we cut the ends off the roast. You know what I mean? It's one of those things oh. we've just always known. You know what, that story? You cut, ra- you cut the ends off the roasts? Story goes, I learned about this from a friend of the show, John Syracuse, and it describes uh, a certain kind of cargo cult thinking. Which is, uh, somebody says, hey, mom, why do we always cut the ends off the roast before we cook it? And, and the, well, it doesn't have to be a mom. Sure. But, you know, it could, the, could the be person a that's cooking the roast. bearded dragon. Bearded dragon says, well, my mom always cut the ends off the roast. I see. And, and you can guess how this goes. You can keep going all the way up and up and up until the, great, the, the great grandmother, who luckily got vaccinated, says, well, we just cut the ends off the roast to make it fit in the pan we had. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, that's why we cut the ends off the roast. Isn't that meaningful? It seems that's meaningful. why we say rabbit, rabbit. <laughs> we cut the ends off the rabbit. <laughs> we say rabbit, rabbit because that's how big the pan was <laughs> when, we were, when we were growing up. Yeah, I think it has a certain, a certain you know, Jewish-American quality to it. Mm-hmm. Rabbit, rabbit. Rabbit, rabbit. Anyways, I'm just dicking around. That's why I'm late. Yeah, yeah. no, no, dicking around is, is good. I'm, uh, I don't... Uh, I don't have the luxury to dick around anymore, Merlin. Really? So, what happened? What changed? No, it's all it's all serious business now. Oh, business, business, business. Everything huh. is serious now. Oh, I, I see. I got. I just you, got have, you have an earned levity. Yeah, I got the. Uh, I got off the phone with the with the electrician just Ugh. a minute ago. The electrician was supposed to be here this morning, but it was a miscommunication between the electrician and the electrician and. Everybody's mad, you know. Everybody's mad all the time. Mad. Yeah, but there. But isn't this a classic contractor problem? Like the contractor always owes money to the last person, and the electrician's probably mad about their last client. And then when they go to their next client, they'll be mad at you. Isn't that how it works? I think so. I think so. I've definitely made the contractor very mad. He's got to be taking it out on everybody he meets. The oh guy no! At the gas station. His family. Oh He's no! You hate be, to hear that. It's really running downhill from him. Okay. Be, it, do, if, do you know why? If, if the way I'm treating him is any indication. Oh, no. What, John, if you can say, I mean, I don't want it to be litigious or something. What, what did you do? Were you hurtful? Uh, no, 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 no. Not hurtful. Okay. Uh, it's, um, it's a situation where when we were beginning the project, working together with one another, it was all, as you can imagine, it was all, it was all breezy summer afternoons. So it's a world of hope. When you start any project, you know what I'm saying? It's just, yeah. it's all, it's all about the hope. And one of the things he said was, you know, some contractors will come in here and they'll make a bid on the whole project. They'll okay. say, I'm going to do this for 80 grand or whatever. Hmm. That's not how we do it. We're, I'm just going to charge you every week for the work that we do. Oh boy. And that's going to save you money over time. Hmm. And I was like, sure. Seems like that would work real well for the electrician. Well, this is not the electrician. This is the ge- general contract. Oh, and I was you like, can tell how little I've had to deal with this stuff. Yeah. I said, oh, you know, I get what you're saying. So every week I'd be able to see the progress. We'd be able to make a plan for next week. You know, we stay in budget, this type of thing. Well, the, the problem was that as time went on, and, and it's a simple thing, as that my house was far enough away from his house and where he normally 
worked. That he sent his guys, but okay. he didn't really ever come by. And these are his, uh, his lieutenants. This is obviously not the head guy. He's too busy for this kind of stuff. He sends in his dudes. Yeah. And then the lieutenant, who was nominally the, the foreman, mm-hmm. uh, was a ding-dong. Oh, and no. And he kept saying things to me that were ding-dongy. He was one of these guys that's like, oh, well, we'll just, you know, you can fix it with spackle. And I'm like, I don't love the word just. Yeah, we're not going to fix it with spackle. Hmm. And so we had three or four or five of these. And I, and I, so I called the general contractor and I was like, this guy and I do not, he's just not, he does not get what I'm doing. And so he comes and he talks to me about stuff and it's always, he, it's always wrong. He never, he never gets it. And I explain it to him and he's like, right, right, right. And then he goes to <laughs> cool, Lowe's cool, cool. and he comes back with a thing that's wrong. And, and mm-hmm. so, so we're, we're spinning our wheels. And so, you know, let, let's, let's, let's not, let's have, why don't you put him on a different job? Hmm. Oh and, boy. Got, and, and the general contractor was like, right, no problem. Got it. And the, he went away, but then he was not replaced with anyone. There was no foreman on the job. And the, foreman job fell to the lead carpenter who is a good carpenter but not a project manager Mm -mm. we ran into this all the time in the dot-com days where everybody was working two levels above where they really should be at least yeah and it was was hard to get people you remember back in the day you probably had this in seattle in like 98 99 they couldn't find people to work at mcdonald's let alone at a dot-com because everybody was getting a job where they were operating at some level above their a better paying job <laughs> where they're operating somewhere above their expertise. And project management, like all management is, is a different art from being a practitioner. That's right. And, and right now it's the, you know, it's a, it's a builder's market. You know, there, there aren't enough carpenters in the Everybody's country doing house things. They're doing house things. They're building, yes. building, building. Seattle keeps growing, even though I don't know why, why would anybody move here now? But everybody mm-hmm. is still. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so all these guys can name their price. And the lead carpenter, uh, God bless him, mm. you know, he's got a, he's got a multitude of talents, um, but he is not, uh, he's someone who um, is a little dramatic. Huh. He's a little dramatic with, with other people that he works with. He's a little, dr- he's just a little dramatic. He's got, he's a, he's a younger guy. He, he grew up on Telenovas and he, oh, um, I see, you know, he, he'll, he'll, he throws a fit or he, you know, there's other things happen, but the, but more importantly, <laughs> You're saying hot Latin blood for obvious reasons, <laughs> more importantly, there's no one standing in the center going, well, that over there has to line up with this over here. For oh God, this is my nightmare. So the one thing gets built then the other thing gets built, then it's, it's off by an inch and a half. And it's like, now, wait a minute, somebody, I can't be here predicting what what the mistakes you guys are going to be making. So somebody has got to be doing it. Well, the general contractor is like, God, it's a long drive. Oh, that's a shame. Too bad you can't telecommute. Yeah. So over the course of the year that they've been working on the house, 
they've put stuff in. They've had to rip it out and put it back in again. They've had to rip it out and put it back in again. This doesn't work. That doesn't work. They Apparently, they tested it. But then the first time I tried to turn it on, there was no power to it at all. And it must have been a broken part from the factory that worked one time when they tested it, but then immediately self-destructed. Mm-hmm. And that happened three or four times oh, where John, a faulty John, John. part... It's not, it's not their the, fault. From the factory. Mm-hmm. But I blame the factory. They did test it before they tiled over it. So oh, it's boy. not their fault. Anyway, and so over time what's happened is this like, well, we just charge by the week. <laughs> the guys that are working on the job are not incentivized by anything to go to their boss and say, well, we spent eight hours ripping out the thing that we put in. They have their own internal yardstick, uh, probably to the general contractor, right? Which is like, get this chunk of this done in this amount of time for this amount of money. But that is independent of this cockamamie scheme where that contractor just keeps doing that until it's done. Yeah, right. They're they're getting paid in a different way. And for me, agreeing to the principle of like, okay, you didn't make a bid on the whole thing. You know, I bet you've been screwed by that before. Um, I'll be going to pay you week by week. But now, and, and I believe that everyone in the situation is generally trustworthy. I think that they are honest, generally trustworthy people. But when, when I say, like, install the heat pump, what I assume is that installing the heat pump includes that it works. <laughs> I didn't know I had to put that in. I, didn't now, know, I left out that particular codicil. <laughs> yeah. Shame on me. Now, what they are saying is, you paid for us to install the heat pump. Now that it doesn't work, we have to take it out and replace it. But that's not our fault because it was a broken part. Mm-hmm. And so, you know... So this is part of the hourly, you know, like there are things where they, there's no way they could say that they didn't screw the thing up where they are like, we'll take those hours off. But there are, there's just a general 10 to 15% of the money that they've charged me. That's just kind of in this, like, wait a minute, wasn't this wall already tiled? Oh yeah. We had to take the tile back down because the, this thing inside, you know. But what you're not saying in all of this is that you're an unpaid project manager. Otherwise, they're going to steal your copper pipe. So, and so my contention here at the end is there are a couple of outstanding invoices. Mm -hmm. There are some things that still don't work. And it was only when I said, I'm not going to pay these invoices until these things work. Mm Mm-hmm. That all of a sudden, after a year, the owner has started to come to the house and make sure that it's done right. If memory serves, that's pretty far away from where he lives. It's a, it's a, it's you know, it's twenty minutes. Oh, geez, and away he from has where to, like drive lives. a truck or a van or, has, or a car. You know, a car. Oh, see, he, see, he's not the van guy. He's the car no, guy. He's the, he's in a car. Uh huh. But you know, it's like it's like when the do. when the fire when the fire guy. Most of the fire people are on the truck, rear, rear, rear. Yeah. But then they send out the, not the fire marshal, but maybe the fire chief. Fire chief is in their own special red fake cop car. Sure. Now he's, the, in this the case. Lieutenant. Yeah. 
Yeah. Did you say Tenet? I said the left Tenet. Oh, I thought you meant the Christopher Nolan movie I can't finish. Okay. Because fire, firemen don't have like all the sergeants and all the captains and all the yeah, the fire department uh, ranks. Yes. Are really different. They they leapfrog. Some you're probably not no, allowed no to do colonels. certain. You're not allowed to do certain things. Also, we got to keep a little bit in the can because uh, yeah. there might be another fire. Because project management, in I'm guessing with fires, you know, poor project management or non-existent, <laughs> you got consequences. You got to manage a fire. Manage yes. a fire. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And the number of alarms, and they say it's a three alarm, four alarm, five alarm. That means how many big trucks they sent. Do you know what that means? I think so. I think so. I think okay. it's how many different stations respond to it, I think. You get, so you don't get that, though. I'm sorry. I want to hear back, get back to your story, but I just want to clarify here. This project management thing, this guy walks around, probably puffs off his chest, gets out mm. of his fake fireman car, and he's like, mm. oh, what's all this then? Mm. You know, when I was in, I was there in, uh, in Berkeley for the Berkeley fire in uh, 1990, what was that, 91? Something oh, like that. I, oh, is that the one with like, the Oakland, the Oakland Hills and Yeah, Oakland Hills. Oh, that was bad, man. That was re- that was that was residential. It was nuts. It was nuts. Yes. I was there. I was actually up there with some friends in a car driving around trying to like get as close to the fire as we could and then we saw a wall of fire. Hmm. And we were like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. See, that's a lot and of we, a lot of a young man's life is spent getting as close as you can to the fire, and then thinking, "Oh shit!" Yeah, we and we turned around. Like, <laughs> why, you know, why do I want to be so close to the fire? <laughs> super fast three point turn. Like, oh shit! Turned around, <laughs> drove, drove, drove. Fire behind us. Fire on the sides. Ugh, and we oh got no. down, and 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 then we pat. Then we got to this checkpoint where uh, the firemen had blocked the street. And they were like, what the fuck were you doing up there? We yeah. had cleared all that. You know, mm-hmm. get out of here. And we got out of there. And then, you know, it, within the next six hours, everything was gone. Like the whole, that whole hill was gone. Jesus. And where those firemen had been standing was gone. Like, like firestorm gone. Not God. like nothing. Like, like just the hubs of car tires. That is so freaking sink. scary to me. It was not. But that later, I think later that evening, we drove out to Santa Cruz and driving over that road to Santa Cruz, it was just a steady stream of fire trucks going toward Berkeley from the coast. They were emptying out fire departments all the way down to Carmel, just sending trucks right. from every direction. Right. And, and lieutenants and mm-hmm. fire and spaceships and dogs and cats sleeping together. It was crazy. Lieutenant colonels. Lo- so lieutenants. Lieutenants colonel. Lieutenant's Colonel. <laughs> anyway, the contractor <laughs> okay. is a guy about our age. And he, I, I know he's got stuff going on in his life the same way that mm-hmm. we do. Maybe not the same way that I do right now, but well, he's also got stuff going on. He's probably got a mother-in-law that's yes. ailing. He's probably got like bills to pay. He's maybe got maybe he's got sugar diabetes. Maybe. You know, he's probably got stuff he's dealing with. Maybe, maybe his yep. dick hurts. Yep, you know, yep, maybe yep. his wife doesn't appreciate him. He's got this contractor. He's got this lead carpenter that's very dramatic. <sighs> he's got this guy out in uh, this far-flung neighborhood, twenty full minutes away, who keeps wanting special tile that doesn't that isn't made anymore. You know, mm-hmm. he's got a lot on his mind. Yeah, and and um, and my guy, the carpenter, said at one point, you know, he and I, there's a little bit of a little bit of a language gap, and so some things that we talked about where I was like, this has got to go over here. And he was like, got it. And then I came back the next day and I was like, ah, that's not, I said over here. And he was like, no, you didn't. You said it here. And I was like, I didn't though. 
I you remember abs- when I'm- there's no reason there's no reason don't gaslight me there's yeah. no reason in the world that I would say anything like that and in fact it's exactly the kind of thing where I personally because I'm a communicator I would say so we understand this thing goes there and you're going to do that on this day yeah well then the problem was that I would walk him over and I would go see this X that I made on the two by four yesterday mm-hmm. uh-huh. you and I were standing here and I made this actual X here and he would look at the X and he'd go oh. Oh, that's, I thought that that meant this, but, uh, but sure. I'll just tear it out and do it all over. You know, like I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the money off the invoice, but he didn't, he had no, he had no actual motivation to go to his boss and say, ah, fucked up again. Yeah. And if you had not been there and said that, and then double said that it would have just gone by like so many things it is as i just stipulated it's up to you to be the person who ensures that this is going in the way that we discussed let alone the way that i would want but you're not even doing the thing you said you were going to do and it's really it's kind of sick that i'm i have to be the one who's the the bad guy in this situation to ask you to do your job with some level of, uh, of integrity the problem is i'm terrible at that absolutely terrible project manager myself terrible i, I sound like such a whiny asshole both parts are important, whiny and asshole. I'm an asshole because I'm going, man, are you sure that's right? And then, I'm, you know, whiny because I'm going, man, and that's no way to begin a sentence for a grown man. No, it's absolutely true. I don't like it either. No. And there are a lot of things that I would look at and go, well, that's wrong, but I'm not going to complain about it mm-hmm. because, fuck it, a bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And it's yeah, the keep type powder of dry. Because, I mean, sometimes with these kinds of things, you've got to, if you know it's a real shit storm, you cannot sweat the little stuff because, you know, at some point you're going to have to go, hey, this one big thing. This is also an area, in my experience, this is also an area where it is not beneficial to go, okay, this is the final straw. You did one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven wrong. And five was a really big deal. We need to talk about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, 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 you really are only, I feel like in those situations, you're only allowed to look steely-eyed and stare at the person and say, this one thing is wrong. Otherwise, you sound like you're just I'm mm-hmm. a whiny asshole. Absolutely. And there are, there are quite, a, so, so I'm in exactly that position right now, where I have composed a letter. <laughs> oh, you're writing again. I'm glad to hear it. I have, I have composed a letter. <laughs> Dear is, sir. The thing is, I'm not on social media anymore. I have a lot of energy. Yeah. I found a new game for my phone, mm. and it is very addictive, and I hate it because, um, you know, leaving behind social media is going to be a very, 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 very hard thing for me, and it is, uh, and and a lot of it is emotional, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is time management and what do I do with my hands? What do I do with my eyeballs? What do I do with, you know, it's like quitting smoking where you're just like, well, now wait a minute. Every day I fidgeted with a pack of cigarettes and a lighter Mm -hmm. 20 times. It's the default time filler. Your phone now is a cigarette. Yes. Hmm. It's It's a cigarette. And it's like, you know, and like my dad used to say that he would, you know, he, the phone would ring and he'd light a cigarette and then he'd look down and there'd be a cigarette in the ashtray that he was already smoking. It was just that the sound of the phone ringing was like, well, better light a cigarette because, you know, I'm going to sit and talk on the phone. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and my there's, phone There's something is, very attractive. One thing that something like Twitter has going for it or had going for it is that it is just a compact little thing where you just go bloop and, and out yeah. it goes and you're done. 
that's a very different kind of energy than going into anything that you actually want to even informally publish. And it's very much not the same thing as going, uh, lol, uh, Mitch McConnell. <laughs> well, yeah. And the, that's an easier like, publishing schedule. Yeah. It's like, you, you know, you put it out there, you get, it's, it, it's, I used to think that you put, you, I mean, in the early days, you put tweets out there and you got little, you got some applause from people you admired and you were like, yay, I'm somebody. But then, you know, it, it, it turned, even before it turned into a, into a giant shit show, mm-hmm. it turned even in the early mid 2010s to a thing where you were chasing faves and you were, you know, your status was up and down 25 times a day. Like I'm in. I'm out. I'm in. I'm out. Twitter, Twitter was Twitter was fun because it was so ephemeral. I don't want to make this episode sad. Twi- yeah. Twitter was fun because it was ephemeral. But then anytime you can put a stat on something, you, you're going to look at the stat usually. Or put differently, it's yeah. difficult to stop looking at the stat, I feel like. But but in the early days, it was really fun. You go around, you shuck and jive, you do your things. Like I say, I mean, I, I, I met the You Look Nice Today guys because of Twitter. You Look Nice Today was supposed to be a podcast about Twitter. And it's really fortunate those episodes never came out because it was really, really stupid. But that was fun. And then and then um, Favard came along. And at first, it could not have been any more fun. Favard. Just Favard came along. The big chicken came. Yeah, and, Favard. And then that. And then, but at first, this is going to sound impossible. But at first, it was just fun because it w- you would find people you, who you didn't know about who were really, really funny. Yeah. And and Dean had the good taste, uh, God rest his soul, Dean had the good taste to not put everybody on there. He put the people he thought was funny on there. <laughs> and But then what happened? Then you talk about chasing, buddy? Woof. Now you're chasing, where are you on Favard for this yeah. too? And I thought yeah. that was really funny. Why did no one else like it? Or that was really stupid. So now I got to post three more things so nobody sees it or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. like at, then that became like, wow, I'm uh, putting ice cream in my vagina on Saturday night. What do you think, guys? <laughs> star, 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 star. Stars. Yeah. And it's and nothing against you know vaginas or, or dairy products, but no. you're right. It it don't it, mix them though. Well, you know, like they always used to say, like, don't do the thing you love for a job or, or you'll start to hate it. It's like if yeah. you take something that has almost entirely intrinsic value and it gets increasingly extrinsic till there's really nothing intrinsic left to it, and you're just a, a, like a hollow a balsa wood man, like just trying to make ends meet with your stars. It's the worst. It is the worst, and somehow we all know it, and yet I spent seven more years I know, doing I it. I know. I used to spend hours a day writing tweets, well, like and composing I them. I write all my but, tweets outside of any, any posting apps, and I used to do it in an app that had a, uh, a character count, so I could know when I was exactly going to nail 140 characters, and I am, uh, I'm not super embarrassed, but I'm pretty embarrassed with the four plus hours a day, I would often spend getting it exactly right, fact checking on Wikipedia, making sure the Oxford commas were there. Like that all mattered to me. And in the end, it was all just tears and rain. And that's before the real tears came, John. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, mean, I made your eyes is what he said. I did the exact same thing. I sat at my at my desktop computer. <laughs> Crack your and, knuckles. <laughs> and wrote tweets. And then yeah. like, you know, it was like, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to send this one. Let You know, here you go, baby. Fly! Yeah. You're not uh, mine anymore. Now you belong to the world. But, you know, a, a month ago, I got hit by a, a tornado. Yes. And uh, and the, the mitzvah is 
this is the thing that allows me to not be on social media anymore. It is the thing that has that has broken me. I'm not there anymore. Yeah, um, well, I, well, think I about back to your smoking, just real quick. Back to your smoking. If you're a person who smokes a lot, it's really difficult to imagine a world in which you don't smoke. Impossible. Yeah, and I mean, even if you're not like heavily personally quantifying it, but if you're smoking a pack or two a day, it's not. It's it really is difficult to imagine a world in which you wouldn't. It seems silly to imagine that. But then maybe you have a health scare, maybe you get COPD, maybe you have heart problems, you stop smoking, and you go like, wow, I can't believe how long I smoked. I, that's an extreme example, but it's not that that far off. The health it's scare. It's not extreme at all. It well, the health scare that me, got you off of that might have saved your life. And in the end, you go, right. wow, like I don't stink and like have trouble breathing anymore. Maybe that wasn't so great. It's, it's, even, it's even heavier than quitting smoking. It really, really, really feels to me like quitting drinking mm-hmm. because- yeah. Because it's not, you know, when you quit smoking, you don't leave a bunch of friends behind, right? You don't have smoking friends that are like, oh, he doesn't smoke anymore. I can't hang. Yeah, there might be like people that you know casually outside the office where you go to smoke. But if you can't drink, you like, you know what that's like. You go to parties. And if you're lucky, you get a Fruity Pleaser or a Diet Fresca. And what was hard for me when I, uh, looking back at drinking, you know, for the last 20 years, I've looked back and said, well, I lost a lot of friends along the way. But, you know, but in fact, some of those friends were good friends mm-hmm. and they weren't just drinking buddies. They were like tight friends that were mm-hmm. that were there for me. But when I quit drinking, that was what we did together. And they weren't going to quit drinking. And I had to lose them. And it was not just that I had to get over the physical addiction, that I had to get over the emotional addiction to alcohol, that I had to break this incredible, awful cycle, but I also lost my life in a way and had to start over building the basics. Like, who are my friends? What do I do? What happens at 7 p.m. in a normal person's life? Because I know what happens at 7 p.m. in my life. and Yeah, I mean, like, it, I don't think it's going too far to say, because, again, if you haven't found something to replace it with, and good luck, but there, there is that sense of, like, um, black and white thinking that creeps in when you're trying to get off a, a habit you don't love. Yeah. And I think one of those first thoughts is it's either this thing that I, I don't even want to say that I love, it's just the thing that I do. It's somewhere yeah. just below autonomic things like breathing. What do other people do? Like, nothing? Because it really yeah. seems like all there is is the thing that I do or, like, blackness. Yeah. Well, and especially since, on Twitter at least, the ecosystem now, over time it, it evolved to be the ecosystem where I lived. It were the, those were the rules that I followed, and they weren't rules that I, that I completely bought into, but those were, those were the rules because I was – that was the Joko Cruise. That was Max Fun. Those were places that were fully vested in a Twitter ecosystem. Not, you know, they weren't making their own independent rules. They were agreeing to a set of, of. Um, it's like the rules no. that are posted by the pool. It's in the rules ways, that were posted by the pool. And then big, the journalists big letters, went there. and you don't get to negotiate. Yeah, it became the place where the news was. Yes. So all of that now. I'm sitting here a month in. With, you know, my creative energy intact, my soul is intact, my, um, 
my confidence is intact. Um, my confidence in my in my viewpoint, even. But you know, my my life and my loves um, are all kind of undamaged. Mm-hmm. But my life, my 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 house and my neighborhood just got completely the Missouri river overran its banks and the house was washed away. So I am writing a lot of (laughs) long form letters to contractors. Oh, good. Where I'm like, dear sir, you should publish this as an ebook. I think people enjoy that. <clears throat> it's called the, John Roderick's. It's uh, like a John Cheever thing, like the the electrician letters. John Roderick, <laughs> I've got more time on my hands now. And uh, dear McDonald's, it's I recently, heavy. I recently visited one of your establishments. I just wanted to say that the server called Debbie was really quite rude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not That's like Car- John Roderick. <laughs> I'm not Karening, but I am. No, no. I, I am, um, well, so the thing is, the thing that I cannot account for, no, I can account for it. The thing I cannot manage right now is that I am, I am feeling more stress than I have ever felt. Mm. The stress that I feel, and I can't put another name, you know, a few years ago, I was suffering from anxiety. You remember that. We talked about it a lot. Yeah. And anxiety was this nightmare um, because I was because I was constantly, you know, you know what it is. I don't have to tell you, but you know, you you feel like you're just there's a wolf. Yeah, and, and like one one problem that when people, I feel like when I get the sense that somebody does not understand what I mean by anxiety, you know, and I've gone around with my wife about this, where she really gets it now, unfortunately, which is somebody's. You say like, oh man, I couldn't sleep last night. I was really anxious. Now. It's very normal for that person, especially if they love you and care about you, to say, well, what are you anxious about? And you say, I'm not anxious about anything. I'm anxious about everything. That's what, if I was anxious about something, I would say that I'm fearful. I'm not fearful. I'm anxious. My brain is creating dozens, hundreds, thousands of like this this spider web of possibilities and none of them are good and they all end in terrible personal ruin. Yes. Yes. That's, that's anxieties. Enjoy. Hakuna Matata. Yeah, well, and for me, like anxiety was, they all end with me being suffocated. You know, like right. suffocated. Stuffed in by, a police car with a bag on your head. Yeah, with a bag on your head. It yes. like put into a grave. Yeah. And oh. then you hear the dirt on the coffin. Ugh. Like, you know, like Ugh. that was the feeling that everything ended in. I was going to drown, basically. <sighs> and it was just like, Hey, you know, like I'm going to, I'm making sandwiches for lunch. What kind do you want? And it was just like, I'm drowning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can't, now, can't, can't, can't you see what's happening? Sandwich is going to drown me. Are you S- fucking kidding sandwich me? Sandwich man, I'm dying. <laughs> now with the stress, it's a very different. And I, I imagine it's part of the anxiety family, but I wake up, I'm sleeping about four hours a night. Oh, John. And this, and what it is, is I wake up in, I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm tossing and turning. I can't sleep, but it's not that feeling of like uh, that, that someone is sitting on my chest and holding my nose. It is a feeling that I'm just being hit by baseball bats, you know, like everywhere I look, it's the same as anxiety. Everywhere I look, I see that everything is going, is going wrong. Yeah. 
and it cannot be fixed, and it will never change, and it will. It's never also a little be bit in the, uh, the talk about the anxiety family. Also a little bit in the kind of paranoia family, just in yeah. the sense of I don't have a rational basis for assuming threat here, but something in my my in my body and in my mind is telling me to be on the watch for things, people, events that are harbingers of of the thing I'm worried about. Well, and. What's terrible is that you remember back before I before I started taking bipolar medicine, we went through a couple of years where I was just always on the verge of running for running. office. Well, yeah, that. But but <laughs> you know, like catastrophic depression, mm-hmm. and I was blowing it off and not and dealing with it because I thought I deserved it. And it was not, I did not believe it was depression. I believed it was a rational response to how things are and should be. Mm-hmm. And so me hating myself and hating everything was not depression, not a chemical imbalance. It was wisdom. And, and it, was, it made me sensible and reasonable where everyone else seemed like oh, a Pollyanna. Like, like, how are you just moseying around acting like everything's fine? Yeah. And so, and I directed all that energy at myself when, in fact, you know, a lot of it was just a kind of madness. Yeah. And now. You're getting, you're getting bad signals. I'm getting bad signals. Don't you think? I mean, isn't that part of it is like. Well, it was with the bipolar. Yeah. Yeah. But now I recognize that. I'm getting hit with these bats and I hear my voice in my head say, these are, uh, all these things are actually real and you deserve them all. Mm -hmm. And these are, um, you are not having an episode. You are not uh, stuck in a cycle, uh, you know, that you, that you cannot arrest and you're not in a thing that's going to resolve itself. These are actual problems. They are actually insurmountable. And there are too many of them to ever possibly address. And so this is the new state in which you live. Ooh. And Ooh. so I wake up in the middle of the night and you want to know the list? I mean, there's 40 things on the list and I just go well, down. They're all, and they're all related. They're all, and they're all related and they're all real. There's, there's, a, there's a guy who coined this uh, phrase that is very meaningful to me, uh, chain worrying. You know, the idea that like worrying about this one thing leads to this other thing. And then that at the right arterial, it connects up with this other thing. And it, yeah. it, this is all, I don't, when I say it's in your mind, I don't mean it's not real. But just in the sense that it is all in your mind. And there is no way to survive it because yeah. unless you check that, it's going to keep going until dawn. Yes, and it's exact. It's chain worrying, <laughs> but it's chain worrying to the to the extent that I'm just like the thing is I have not tipped over into like well nothing to do now but burn it down. You know I have not gone all the way. I'm still trying to. Resolve it. I'm still on the phone with contractors. I'm still writing long <laughs> letters where I'm like, look, you know, you say I owe you 30 grand Ugh. and I think that I'm not going to pay it. And here's why. Mm-hmm. Because part of the money that you were charging me was for your supervision. The carpenter, you're only paying him $40 an hour, but you're charging me $60 an hour for his time. Why? 
because so that you can say my house is too far for you to drive to. Right. So over the course of the length of the project, the $20 an hour extra that you're charging me to, for your administrative work to pay your dudes, I could have paid them. I could have paid them in cash. Well, and like I, th- I imagine that when you get the letter back, it would say something like this. But, but if, if I said, if I said to that person, look, if I hired a, let's say somebody's getting married and I hire, hire a caterer for the party and you, you show up six weeks late, charge me twice what you said, and everybody got food poisoning. It's not <laughs> cool to say, well, you know, blame Publix. You know, <laughs> right. It's like, okay, well, okay, but like there's a whole chain of things that where you, your credibility as somebody who knows how to do your job within the constraints that you agreed to is it's not fair for me to have to be the, the, uh, the whiny asshole who says that's not cool. Like you can't, you can't do that. I'm like, I'm sorry you lost your pan or like one of your people mm-hmm. got the flu. Like the, you, you communicate that and then you make good on it. And in this case, you know, my, my natural sympathy is like, ah, oh, this guy's 54. I don't think he's getting along with his wife. He had a major thing where he invested a bunch of money into a house and it turned out that it was all wrong. And he had are these, to are these true out. things. <clears throat> true things. Oh, geez. I don't sucks. know for sure. See, like, you know, in literature ah, class, we call that again. genetic criticism, and we generally try to stay away from that. Yeah. I don't need to know about Ozzy Osbourne doing Joy Crazy Train, but I guess it helps. Well, so yesterday, <clears throat> I was trying to put some trim around the fireplace, because this was work that <clears throat> not only hadn't they done, but in fact, they had cannibalized the trim from around the fireplace to finish the trim in a different room. <laughs> And there wasn't... <laughs> was that was, part of the deal? That seems... No. Okay. But they're wandering around and they're like, well, we need some extra trim. Well, this trim's, you know, here. And Did so, you see a sign, a frame sign here that says, help yourself? Yeah, the thing is that I had taken the trim down because I was going to refinish it. So at one level in a project managerless situation to a carpenter, it looks like a pile of trim. Now it's all... Right. 1952 mahogany that cannot be duplicated at any price. The wood doesn't exist anymore. And so he's like, well, it's got to go somewhere. Go down here. And what he's not looking at is, well, you know, this pile of trim is sitting in a room that already doesn't have the trim up. And it's the trim that belongs to the room. And, you know, there were yes, the carpenter would would bring his cousin in who was 20 years old and tell him, well, clean up the garbage. And the carpenter, the, the cousin, nobody's supervising him. He takes all the shit that I was saving in the corner, throws it all in dumpster. Right. So I'm trying to fix this. And there's one piece of wood left in the whole house that will fit this place. And I'm there. And, you know, my mom, of course, is like, you got to finish the trim. And I'm like, yes, mother. <laughs> thank you. For, thank you for yeah. your message. <laughs> and so I'm down there all <laughs> afternoon yesterday, and I'm a perfectionist about carpentry, and I love to do it. But it's like a little I puzzle. Get, <clears throat> like if you put the perfect. pieces together wrong, it's not finished. And here's the thing. The, the, the fireplace had settled a little. This wall had bowed a little. There was a piece of slate that was a quarter inch higher than the floor. There was a this and a that. And 
I'm looking at this piece of wood and I'm like, well, let's see, I got to jig out this and I got to bend it a little here, but that's going to pull. It's too far. The wood's not going to, it's going to pull See, you're thinking out. like a project manager. You're realizing that all these pieces have to fit together. And the problem was I went downstairs with my chop saw and I made the cut and it was a little long, but which is what I intended because I needed a little bit of extra to, to put it you know, exactly right. Yes. And then the second time I went down to cut it, I cut it wrong. And I'm a major three times cut once guy. Oh, join the club. I cut it wrong because the saw slipped. (laughs) And you should not be working with a chop saw where the saw ever has a chance to slip. Mm -hmm. But I was doing it a little hack. I had the wood balanced on a on like a plastic bag of survival blankets. And when <laughs> I was the trying thought to, in your mind, this will just take a second. <laughs> and I was trying to use the chop saw a little bit like a jigsaw. You know, I was trying to do stuff that a chop saw can't do, huh. but I was like kind of moving the wood a little to get this little burp and it just slipped. And it's not like it slipped and cut through the whole thing. It just slipped and made a cut where I didn't want one. And then I was like, well, I'll fix it in post. <laughs> and I cut it. And then it was too short. And so now I've cut the piece of wood, the one piece of wood, and I've cut it too short. And even in the too shortness of it, it still doesn't work to solve the other problem. And so at the end of the day, I'd spent five hours on this and I had ruined a piece of wood and I had not solved the trim problem. And I walked out of there like, did I need another thing to keep me up at night? And I, and now you got these two problems. I mean, in Mm -hmm. in addition to whatever damage you did, now you're, you, you, you have to punish yourself because you did it wrong. I did it wrong. And, and it's in, it's in the family of things that in the past, when I <clears throat> when I would make a thing and I would go, oh, I kind of did that. I kind of swung for the fences on that one and didn't quite connect with the ball. I, I, I've always punished myself for it. But, you know, if it's the only thing you're punishing yourself for, oh, you can luxuriate in it. <laughs> but right now... <laughs> like take a number <laughs> i take a fucking number but it's there you know it's just I, yeah. I like i limped back to a to a cold pizza you know at the end of the day i just limped back and it and it comes you know it comes down to the fact that my life is upside down right now huh. and when i quit drinking one month in if you remember from the multitude of stories I've told about it, I didn't have a toothbrush and I carried an open Spyderco knife in the pocket of my jacket in case someone attacked me. You know, I like I was walking walking around. I hadn't had a toothbrush in four years and I was carrying and I was walking around with my hand on the knife. There's probably, a, there's probably a larger percentage of Americans than one would imagine who both is in the Venn diagram of carrying an open knife and doesn't own a toothbrush. But it's not, it's not what one aspires to. 
When you walk down the street and you see people walking past you, the number of them that are holding open weapons in their pocket yeah. is, is not zero. Huh. And first I was worried about COVID. Now I'm thinking about knives. Well, that's or, the problem. Or, or like a, or like a, like a, like a, what do they call it? Like a, you know, like a brass knuckle, a knuckle brass knuckle. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when I was, when I was walking across Europe, by the time I got halfway across Romania, I was sleeping with an open knife on my chest <laughs> because I needed to get to it. I felt like I needed to get to it that fast and I wasn't wrong. Uh, but that's a way to not sleep very soundly. No. And I've, you know, I've been in that situation before and right now I'm not sleeping with an open, open knife in my chest, uh, uh, like laying on my chest. Um, but I, but I feel like I'm even, I feel like even more stressed because at least when I was in Romania, I smoked and I could <laughs> sit up and laugh uh, and have a cigarette in the middle of the night. Yeah. I can't even do that. Uh-huh. <sighs> so, so he drove, so he drove his fire car to the house. Oh, so anyway. I owe him what, this what had happened was, and I want and I wrote him this long letter <laughs> that says, "I'm not gonna pay you this money. I'll pay you some of it, but I'm drawing a line because your narrative that all of the cost overruns and all of the problems you've had are because I needed special tile." Um. I mean, I agree with you that I am a problem. <laughs> believe but me, I know. Believe me. I've known long before you met me. But you haven't done your job, and, there's, and you don't have any oversight because you're the boss. But you've asked me to be the project manager on this whole, on this whole project, and here's the thing. I'm the boss. Oh, and you're the captain now. Yeah, I'm the mm-hmm. captain. But the, but the issue is there's... Like he, we're caught between a rock and a hard place because there are all these things that he installed that still don't work. And so I'm like, I'm not going to pay you until you get out here to finish this work. And then he limps out and tries to finish it. And and he's like, Oh, there's a part broken from the factory. And then he's like, well, I'm not going to come out and fix those things until you pay me. And there's, and the problem with the letter is I haven't sent it because the letter says, come finish the work and Mm -hmm. then I'm not going to pay you finish the work because I already paid you for the work but then I'm not going to pay you for the work that you didn't do over the course of a year and from a contractor perspective I mean there are contractors listening to this right now mm-hmm. who are rolling their eyes because contractors yeah, typical, t- typical typical customer that's right and contractors live according to the laws of their own ecosystem hmm. but you know contractors get to feel like they're holy warriors because they're so needed by people they're so mm-hmm. desperately needed and they can you know they can they, and they spend the, they spend so much of their career i mean i, I can't I'm, now i'm just being unkind but it, it, there are there are people you meet in this world who have um, never done anything but the right thing and they can be real difficult to deal with um, because they make a practice like i say you know you don't want to get in a fight with a frat boy because they do it all the time and they like it and, you know, people, there's always those people out there who are like, well, you know, I have a legal thing where I could sue you. I'm like, well, have fun with that. <laughs> but, the, but it's not that fun to sue or get sued. And it's, it's, you know what I'm saying, though? And like, but if you're dealing with somebody who's accustomed to just steamrolling over everybody and being able to just walk away unscathed, I mean, there's one guy in America who gets away with that. And you don't, you don't, you should not aspire to be that man. And talking I know they're talking con- about the ex president. 
you know, there, there are contractors in Southern Illinois mm-hmm. that are just trying to scrape it together. Right. Cause, sure. But contractors in Seattle, they walk on water. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get it. I get it. It's like, if you found something <clears throat> that was really obscure, like we really need to get our cat groomed. And, uh, part of the problem, our cats are a grotesquery, as you know, but it's also that like everybody you deal with for cat stuff, it's one of those things where I'm like, how are there not more people that will fix our cat? Like there's this, there's this crazy lady that God bless her, just total nut job who used to come out in a van and I think abused the cat a little bit. And she was a real dick to work with and she needed to use the hose to refill her water tank. And she was just, it was just, bleh. so we tried to go other places, other places where like, oh, your cat, like you got to sit here and like hold the cat while I groom it. And I'm like, mm. I don't understand how in the entire fucking city of San Francisco, there's not somebody where we could pay double the market rate <laughs> to do a good job of fixing the fucking cat. But you hear things like your cat's too matted. Or your cat, oh. our six-pound cat. You can't just shave the fucking cat. Shave but the it's cat. Like, I mean, like, you, you start to, I feel like I'm losing my fucking mind. How is it so difficult to find somebody who will take care of this thing? Where I have to imagine this is not the only cat in San Francisco. Although that would be a good name for an independent film. The only cat in San Francisco. The only cat in San Francisco. You know what I'm saying, though? But shave there are the only who are, cat in San Francisco. And they're, <laughs> shave the cat. That's a, a famous <laughs> book. But, like, you know what I'm saying? They're like, you, if you're yes. somebody who's like, this could be something like an obscure like a uh, holistic medicine person or like, but you're describing this crazy market thing that happens that's totally real, which is you can play real fast and loose because there's always somebody else, you know, uh, who will want to hire you. Just yeah. somebody shave my cat, please. Just shave his cat. Shave the double. fucking cat. She's such, my... she's so, she's so gross. Her, her yeah. anus is, is like a, a collapsing star. No, your cat is gross. It's true. I love her so you know, much. The, I love the her thing so is, much. I'll send you some photos you, while we're talking. Yeah. You have chosen that cat, and that cat has chosen you, and that is God speaking to you. Just as the God relationship between the cat, the lizard, and the Roomba is a very mm. interesting triad, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. Yep. They, I, they, they all are, are, are somewhat indifferent and yet somewhat curious about the others. My cat and my daughter have a... Uh, <clears throat> like a crazy Stockholm sy- uh, syndrome relationship. Is it, is my, it what they call a folie adieu? <laughs> my my daughter treats that cat like the cat is made of, uh, like the cat is a sack of beans. Hmm. And the cat, when I try to touch it, the cat reacts as though I am a Roomba. <laughs> but my daughter... Grabs this cat and swings it around her head and hugs it like she, like her life depends on it and the cat's really? life depends on it. How's the cat respond? And the cat, as soon as my daughter puts her down and walks out of the room, the cat follows her. And the cat... That's codependency, John. Cannot get enough mm-hmm. of what I would consider total abuse. And my daughter is happy as a clam, completely oblivious to the fact that when she, she got the cat around the neck and the cat's going, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. like, and she's just like, Oh kitty, I love you kitty. And then she puts the cat down and I'm like, that cat is going to run from her because the cat won't let me put a finger on it half the time. Hmm. And, uh, and maybe you cat, smell she, funny to the cat, you know what I mean? Not in a bad way, but I mean, maybe there's something, you know, they say dogs can smell fear because you produce mm-hmm. this weird extra stinky sweat when you're anxious. So I'm probably real stinky. And yet, yet dogs love me because they can tell I love them. Mm-hmm. There's something about you and the kid. But the, the, the cat wants it from the kid. Likes to be flung like a sack of something. I guess so. Hmm. I mean, my cat, Lewis, mm-hmm. showed up on the front door of my R.I.P. R.I.P. I opened the door. There was Lewis. He looked at me like he'd known me forever. 
he walked into the house. I was like, oh, hello. And he was like, well, I live here now. And I was like, I guess you do. And we totally understood each other. He would come and interact with me all the time. I knew exactly what he was, you know, what he needed and what he wanted. (sighs) This cat, the cat that lives in this house, every time I walk into the room, it looks at me like it's never seen a human before. And I'm like, I'm the same person. I fed you. It's oh, that's so insane. Like cats are like contractors, though, or like that lady who, the, when they first opened the sandwich place near my house, I went in there. My Madeline and I were talking about this just this morning. There's this place where this woman, she was obviously not at all interested in owning a place that makes food, hmm. and there was something that's particularly confounding about this because it was you know down on the corner, like down yeah, by yeah. you know out on the street. But you know what yeah. I mean, like right you know the place, like right on the corner. I mean, yeah, literally yeah. like half a block from my house, and I, I go it. in there. And each time I went in there, I had the same experience that you have with cats and contractors, which is not only had she never uh, made a sandwich, she had also never eaten a sandwich. And it's entirely possible that every single morning is when she found out that sandwiches were a thing. Mm. And she would make these things like this is this is this is sandwich, and you're like, mm. I mean, it's got it's got some of the components, but like you know, Beethoven's you know Beethoven's a lot more than just black dots on white paper. Like that's not really a sandwich. You're not making like a pub to bring back Publix, a Publix style sandwich, no. a sandwich that is made to be eaten. The oh, best kind of sandwich. Oh, roast beef sandwich from Publix. Oh, it shit, justifies dog. the Fried whole chicken? Fuck. Anyway, but all these people, you're, and you're like, contractor, dude, you have a career. Like, you have a, a magnetic sign on your fireman car that says you're Johnny Contractor, and yet everything you do suggests that you've never successfully, everything in my experience with you, and maybe it's just me, is that you've never eaten a sandwich. And That's you've right. never completed a project within scope on budget and time. And now you're blaming me and I'm the whiny asshole? Me? I talked, so I talked to the electrician today and he's like, well, <clears throat> that bathtub needs, that bathtub is powered because it has bubbles and it needs to be plugged <laughs> into an outlet that is RFI compliant, right? An outlet oh, that one has with the little red button ones. Yeah. Yeah. And my contractor who installed the tub and the outlet didn't put the RFI outlet there, which is a thing that any contractor would know to do. Because like that, you the reason you're allowed to be a contractor for money is that you know things like that. That's exactly right. You, are, I'm not paying you for me to tell you that. Mm-mm. And so the electrician, that's not like, how this I, should work. <laughs> you know, like code demands that I put an RFI outlet there. Well, somebody's paying for that, and it's me. But I already paid to have that outlet installed. Ugh, it was just a matter of picking the right outlet at Lowe's. But but nobody was in charge. And the guys that put it in were like, well, they had to know that that was RFI, had to be RFI compliant. But, the, but they were like, well, this is the one I got and nobody's ever going to notice it. It's under, it's under some drywall. It's just like wowsy dowsy, yep, as it, my it, dad it, would it, say. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, the, the other problem is that, you know, the anxiety that I had three years ago, a lot of it was financial. I did not, I was doing all those podcasts and I wasn't getting paid for them. And I was 50 years old and had kind of built a life for myself that I really enjoyed Mm work-wise. It was just that I had not unlocked how to... Uh, make a living. And people all around me were telling me that 
that they were making a living from podcasting and that it was a simple matter of just putting A, B, and C together. But because of the people I was working with, it was apparently twice as complicated. You needed to put A, B, and C together, but that needed to happen within these parentheses of C, D, and E. And I solved it. And when I solved it, I was, some of that anxiety went away because of aloha, but some of it went away because I, I solved one of the problems, you know, a big problem. Well, now having been, having my house washed away by the flooded Missouri, mm-hmm. which na- now has ebbed, mm-hmm. there, there were a couple of casualties, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of things mm. that mattered to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, friendships. Yeah, I'm sure it but didn't involve any people that you otherwise trusted and loved. Right. <clears throat> but one of those one one of those in particular was a was part of my income. Yeah. And and not an insignificant part and it washed away like it like it had never like it had no foundation, like it had never it, like it was made out of straw. And I thought and really believed that it was made out of brick. And it washed away mm-hmm. so, uh, so out of my control, so effervescently that... And just to be clear here, this is not something where you said, oh, I'm having a rough time. I need to, to step away for a week or nine. This no. This is something where it was just pulled out from under you, you know. It's like that line in The Simpsons where, you know, the guy, what is it? The guy says, like, you know, I worked here for 20 years and I don't even get uh, a thank you. He says, I don't recall saying thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was a... Uh, it's in it's inconceivable to me the 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 end of it the destruction of it I had no say in it it was just taken and taken for reasons I cannot comprehend um, me neither and, and so well and so I'm not gonna talk about it but I'm fucking mad it's it, you I'm know talk, I, I'm not gonna talk about it because I don't need to I don't need it I don't need the aggravation and I don't want my poop to make a big splash but man. I thought I knew some people better than I did. Yeah. And yep. I, and I can't be I can't account for it and I can't also um you know it all happened within an ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. And an ecosystem that I'm now out of and trying to make a new life. But I don't know. So this morning I launched a a Patreon, my first Patreon. Oh. Your your own uh, bespoke John Roderick Patreon. Patreon.com slash John Roderick. People, go. We'll we'll put it in show notes. This is awesome. We'll put it in show notes. You can go to John's Patreon. Check it out. It's probably not. So so the idea is that now I'm in a new life, and I'm going to be writing more. I'm going to be releasing music. I'm going to do the long-form stuff that social media didn't, you know, that, that, that wouldn't fit on social media and that I had preferred social media to doing, doing the work. And, you know, I, and, and it's hard for me because it's also like trying to think about what I do as work, trying mm-hmm. to think about podcasting as a job, trying to think of... Right. sort of professionalizing. And, and it's, it's because during this whole thing, people that listen to this show, people that listen to my other shows have reached out to me in the hundreds saying we love you please don't go you know 
come back, please, you know, don't, this isn't about you. And, and it, you know, like warmed me. Um, and I felt, and I felt a responsibility to it. Like, and I feel a responsibility to it because, because the fact that the fact that a show that I loved could go away did not take away the people that listened to it and loved it. You know, like the people that listened to it and I are over here wondering what happened. Yeah. And we had no power over it, no control. And that was a thing that I didn't realize. I didn't realize I had no control. I didn't realize that I, uh, was yeah that you could be fired fired from from your own job that your <laughs> job without without actual cause yeah right and fi- fired by friends and friends that were just like um i don't know friends that disappeared overnight that i'd known that i'd had for 15 years yep and so that feeling of uh not just insecurity and not just like um like like danger but also a feeling of just like sort of desperate sadness or a feeling of obligation to the people that had come to also love the thing yeah and and a desire to give them to give them more cuz i wanted to give them more i intended to give them more so anyway mm-hmm. you know i you and i don't normally shill on this show and and we don't like to but I, I, I'm trying not to feel that way. That's a thing that we put on ourselves. I'm trying to say, like, I want to keep doing stuff. I want to keep working for people. And I can't do it in that, in a way that I thought was stable, but it turns out isn't. I need to be in charge of it. Yeah, so, well, like, well, sort of related to what I said a minute ago. Uh, to be truly your own boss because you just found out that you weren't your own boss because there was, a, I guess, a secret weekend meeting and now you, you're not with the organization anymore. Yeah. And, and, you, don't, and you don't have, but you, you can't put your hands to the levers, you know, if somebody else owns the levers. You're just moving their levers. And, you know, I trust you. I trust Ken. Big mistake. Big I mistake. I know. But I trust you because I know you and I know, you know, I have a sense of what you're going to do. And I know that there have been times where this show was like, huh, I'm, where are we right now? Like, we've been doing this show for 10 years. We've had some ups and downs. Hmm. Really? Wait. I mean, don't you think? There were times when you were like, I oh, I, I don't like having to, I don't like having to do extra work is my right. thing. But, um, but I, I, I treasure doing this show and something that I said to you privately that I hope you won't mind my sharing was that of the things that I'm aware of that you do, I would like to think that this is the one that is, I would like to think that could change in an hour, but I would like to think that this is the one, um, where there, first of all, there's no, there's not really a topic apart from what we're talking about. People come here or don't come here because they like, or don't like what we're doing here. And uh, that is uh, in one sense, perilous and in another sense, for obvious reasons, very freeing. Um, but the, see, I hate talking about this, but I the know. shit that went down, anybody who bought into that, um, is not allowed to listen to the show. <laughs> um, because like, if you actually believe the horse shit that a bunch of bullies said, um, shame on you. 
because of all the things that are incredibly fucked up about you and about me, the things for which you were accused, it was just, it was deeply wrong and deeply unfair. I'm sorry I'm saying this out loud, but it was very, very frustrating to me that people who know you better than the strangers and friends who listen to your programs, people who know you better, didn't get that. And I am going to, I need to either get a lot more information or develop a lot more undeserved forgiveness for those folks because I'm having a real hard time with that. But this show and you nice people who listen to it, I I hope you were able to to look down things that people said and go, who are you? What? Really? Like, huh? Okay. And so All right, many you know, people like they, did. So to quote, you know, Roger Stone, I guess it was just your night in the barrel. And, yeah. but that has consequences. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you were doing this. I, I you know, I, I love doing this show and I, that's, I'm going to stop talking now. Yeah. Patreon.com slash John Roder, correct? Yeah. I <sighs> love this show and it's the show. This is the show. It's in the show. I mean, like the thing is, whatever we talk about, I don't love what I'm talking about, but I can't take it out because it's in the show. QED motherfuckers. I don't feel canceled, you know, and I recognize what happened. I acknowledge it. You know, I apologized and I was sincere. Yeah. But, but, but there's never, there's never enough. You will never become the person other people think you should be, which is usually them. You will never become that fast enough. And the, the, a huge problem we all deal with now is like, if it was your night in the barrel or you lost the uh, Shirley, Shirley Jackson lottery, whatever you say, it's not going to be enough. Whatever you do, because the, it's not what you did or didn't do. It's what people imagine. The per- person people imagine that you are and then how you get to be the one with the stone rather than standing in the middle of the circle. And it's fucking revolting. I told you, didn't I, that, that a dozen people reported me to Child Protective Services and they, yep. were, they were obligated to come and interview my family and sit yeah. here, interrogate my daughter. And they were wonderful. Uh, Child Protective Services were wonderful. And they were just doing their jobs. Uh-huh. But the idea that an uh, internet mob could actually unleash and, and, and would actually believe that that was the right thing to do and that Child Protective Services... I'm sure, I'm sure they were genuinely extremely oh, worried. Ab- absolutely worried about my... Yeah about my uh, my incredibly pampered child. You got you basically got domestic swat, uh, swatting. Somebody swatted you domestically. But that you know that puts fear into you because it's not mm-hmm. the kind of like oh maybe my uh, account is going to get hacked. It's like the the police are going to come based on some person in um in Kentucky who who read 10 tweets and decided that they were going and don't know enough about what child protective services does um, to, you know, because talking to them, they were like, this is really not a good use of our time, but we have but, but, to. But, but caller ID does here. not pop up with Kentucky Karen. Right. Like they don't, they don't know. They've got a job to do. And they do. And then and it was a wonderful experience uh, in the sense hmm. that they were lovely and I got a better understanding of what they do do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we spent a lot of time talking about like, here's what we're capable of. Here's what our resources are. And here's what we, you know, what look for. And, you know, I was like one of those things where I'm just curious and, and learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it was also awful. And, and fortunately my daughter really liked the girl and, uh, and <laughs> I her bet, mother I bet you develop was, a certain, 
the better ones develop a certain kind of personality and comportment that is probably like very friendly and civil, but also like you get a good eye. Yeah. You know, I bet they can kind of, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to minimize the work that they do, but I mean, part of it must be you can walk in and go, hmm, I, I have a pretty good idea already which way this is likely to go. And I she did. To, I need to but, do the work, but like, I'll bet, you know, when, when they walked in and, and didn't discover your child, in, like some kind of Mr. Show character, like sitting in a pile of her own filth, like, like, like oh, cradling a can of beans. Yeah, they went downstairs and played Barbies for an hour and... Mm -hmm. Oh. You know, and my kid came upstairs and said, well, here are the questions that she asked. She said, what's your favorite thing about your dad? What's your least favorite thing about your dad? You know, this oh, type of thing. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, what is your least favorite thing about me? And she said, well, you don't play with Legos as much as I would like. And I was like, yeah. She said, also. It's going to be a second call now, John. <laughs> Also, you sometimes call me sweetie. <laughs> a little block man with a briefcase is going to come to your house. We received some very concerning reports. Yeah. You call me sweetie heart and I asked you not to. Right. Uh, and I'm you like, know, yeah, uh, well, breakfast I mean, in a bastic. I get it. I get it. Potatoes. But that, that type of thing, you know, it makes me realize in, in a way, I don't belong on social media and I haven't for years. It's not for me. It isn't where... It isn't where what I do belongs. Yeah. And that's really hard because like when I quit drinking, I don't know where what I do belongs right now. And I need to, I think I need to build something in a world where all the things that we used to build, nobody cares about it. Nobody goes to websites. Nobody's on message boards. You mm. know, it's all happening in a place that I'm not. Yeah. And yet, you can build something in the world. You can make things and people will, people will find it. Uh, and so, anyway. Yeah, it's, 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 I've given this a fair amount of thought um, as well. Uh, I continue to give this a fair amount of thought. And one of the, it strikes me that uh, there are environments or systems or whatever that is. That could be a business or it could be, could be your college. It could be your church or whatever your community is. Like you, you, you try to learn what well, you can't help but notice after a little bit of time, what makes people um, thrive. And eventually you learn what makes people succeed. And then eventually you learn what's necessary just to survive. And you don't always learn those in the same order. But any place where you're thinking, I need to go pretend to be somebody whom I am not in order to survive, it's one thing to pretend that you're somebody that you're not in order to succeed or thrive. I wouldn't call that thriving personally, but to at least appear successful. But if you find yourself constantly on the, the sort of knife edge of needing to, how, how am I going to survive given whom I'm, you notice I'm not saying who I'm expected to be, who I'm expected to pretend to be. And like I, that to me is like virtually the definition of the opposite of success. That is the opposite of happy. If you have to spend a lot of your time trying to figure out how to, how to make people who don't know you uh, see, seem like somebody else for the one moment they discover you exist, that is not a healthy environment. No. And what's weird is we all have said social media is a toxic place. It's terrible for us. It's, you know, there are movies about it. It's awful. None of us like it there. And yet 
none of us have the discipline to stop going there. And I didn't have the discipline to mm. stop going. I tried and tried. You know how many times I've, I've quit it. Yeah. And then I, I, I start lurking and then I come back to it. And because it'll be fun for 20 minutes and it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see somebody, you know, I see yeah. you post something. I see somebody post something, Yeah. but yeah. then all of a sudden I'm over trying, you know, I'm waving my hands trying to attract somebody's, you know, like, Hey, give me some thieves. But, and you end up just being lucky if it's simply people explaining your joke to you. That's that becomes the best of circumstances. Is it is like it's like um, I, I hate to compare it to stand up comedy, but it is like going to a performance where after every sentence, everybody in the room gets to hold the mic for the amount of time that you spoke. <laughs> and then that's a, that is a performance. It's actually yeah. probably hundreds of performances, but it's not a show that's part of a career I would like to have. Well, what I another thing I realized is a thing we always knew, which is that podcasts are actually not on the internet. Nope. Podcasts do not, they're not on the internet at all. They are, <laughs> they are on the fucking radio. And all the people that listen to this show and all the people that listen to my other shows found it and live in a separate ecosystem. And they did Even from it. other podcasts. I mean, right. this is like, to, to compare what we're doing here to Joe Rogan or Mark Maron or Serial or the shows I love even, like to compare it to um, something like, you know, You're Wrong About or any of the other, like, Dozens right. of shows that I listen to every Jordan, week. Jordan, Jesse, Go, right? I mean, yeah, they each exist uh, in their own little pocket how universe. How stuff works in some ways. They, they do, and weirdly, people find have found these things and live in them. So many people wrote me, and they're like, "I'm not on social media at all, uh, but I couldn't help but hear about this because it was on the BBC." But I heard uh, it, I heard it mentioned on a podcast that went up on Saturday. Of yeah, people right. we don't know, a very, very famous podcast. There's a two-word phrase that was used that um, I'm just like, really? This is still going on? This is yeah. like your new Where's the Beef? Like, And, and uh, you know, like everybody had a hot take. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, Q-tip had... had I, I, uh, never, I never liked you at all. I wasn't surprised at all. You know, yeah, it's always the opportunity to come out and say no, but actually, 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 I never liked I him at all. Actually, you know? actually. I've always had my concerns. Even though, you know, we were great internet friends, I always had my concerns. Yeah, I've always very really problematic, yeah. But uh but this where we are is a separate world and I think, you know, maybe um I can live I can live a full life and not <laughs> and not be well, on you know, baby media. steps, John. Let's not go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you still have the cigarettes up on the uh up on the door somewhere. <laughs> Not around here. They're probably still, they're still above the doors at the farm. It wasn't the electrician's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com slash John Roderick.